0: Well, good morning, Vaughn Forrest. Those of you joining us online, so glad to be here with you today. Uh, This is my second time, I think, about four months uh, of being here. In fact, um, I had a chance to uh, text back and forth uh, with uh, Pastor Adam uh, Bishop, and he just said, let them know I'm praying for them. And uh, Adam and I go way back, and so he invited me and uh, Chad to be here today. And it is great to be here with you. Uh, Just a little bit about me. I actually uh, used to live in Alabama, and i was at the, i'm actually a graduate from the university of mobile so i uh, grew up in louisiana uh, felt a call in my life so i didn't go to lsu uh, different type of religion there so uh, just as there is in alabama with a couple of football schools that i'm familiar with uh, and so i went to school at the university of mobile majored in biblical studies uh, got my masters and have been a full-time pastor for 26 years uh, now, so still in the game. I think I got 20 more years left, but uh, uh, sometimes it's uh, it's iffy. But all joking aside, I've got a wife. We've been married 18 years. Uh, four beautiful children. My oldest is 13. Uh, she's in eighth grade. I'm gonna have two middle school uh, kids. So for those of you who have middle schoolers, uh, just. Why I preach? just be in prayer for me. So it's been awesome with my daughter. We'll see how it goes with my son. So I know the middle school years can be challenging. Uh, but here, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about a subject that I've been contemplating for some time. And it's in the area of speed. Because I have a feeling with my four children and us playing sports and, and all the things that we do and the culture that we live in, Like, you feel the speed and pace of our society and culture. In fact, I would say it this way. uh, It does something to you, not just physically. It does something to you emotionally. It does something to you spiritually. The speed of our culture. And it only continues to increase. It's what I want to talk to you uh, about today. Because when you think about speed, we measure things in speed. So we say the speed of sound. We say the speed of light. If you're going somewhere, the the pace at which you are walking or driving is the speed in which which you're going, in which you're moving. So whether you're driving, flying, or walking, the speed determines how fast you're gonna get to your destination. Or if you got enough in the tank to get to your destination. And really that's what I wanna talk about today because in two years of really uh, doing the deep dive into this in my own life, here's what I realized. I'm not sure I can go the pace that I'm going and get to the end and be healthy. I'm not sure I can continue to go how fast we are going and me be healthy at a soul level, to be able to lead my family as God wants me to lead them. And there's some things that are true in the area of our culture that are not changing, but how we can react to the speed of our culture, we control. And it's what I wanna to talk to you about today. So I wanna offer up two questions for you. Here's the first question right here. How fast are you going? How fast are you going? Now, obviously, if you're a little literal person right now, you're like, not too fast. I'm just sitting here listening to you. Uh, for those of you watching online, maybe you just look down at your speedometer and you're thinking, way too fast, okay? So thank you. That's me, all right? Oftentimes, I'm going faster than I think I'm going. But how fast are you going? In your own life, in your own rhythms, your sphere of influence, your family, how fast are you going? You see, in your younger years, like you can go fast. Like you don't even need much sleep. Like you can, you can go and go and go, you get up early. I mean, you're, you're good to go, your body heals fast, you can go fast. But some of us are in a season of fast and some of us are in a season of slower or slow. So if you're in a season of fast, maybe you have young kids like I do, and I mean, it's just go, 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 okay? Like it's just enough for for my wife, Lindsay, and I to get my kids in bed at night and then put them in bed again and then put them in bed again and again. Can I get an amen for those of you who have young kids, right? And when they finally stay in bed, we're like, thank God, right? When they finally stay in bed, I mean, we let out a a verbal sigh (sighs) I'm just exhausted, tired. It's 8.30 at night, it's like, it's time to go to bed. Like when you're young, you're like, come on, man, it's only 8.30. Like what are we doing here? Like we can stay up as long as we want to. But when you get older and the pace is fast, you just can't keep up. And sometimes our minds tell us we can, but our bodies remind us we can't. Like our minds say we can, and that pulled hamstring reminds us that we can't. Like I get out with my kids throwing football and playing sports and I'm like, okay, I can't do what I used to do. I'm talking to you men's softball players here. Your mind says you can, your pulled hamstring says you can. not I know, listen, I know churches, church softball teams like you guys, whoo. I mean, it's it's brutal. I actually played sports um, growing up and I have seven titanium plates and 34 screws and they're because of men's softball, okay? Like made it through football, basketball, all those things fine in high school. Men's softball, it'll kill you, right? So, but there are things that in our lives that just remind us we can't. Now, some of us, you're, you're in a season and you're going slower. Like maybe, you have, maybe you're a grandparent. And I've been told that, that, that grandparents are, is the reward, having grandchildren is the reward for not killing your own kids, all right? So that's like my goal, that's it. Like that's what I'm shooting for right there, not killing my kids. So I told my wife, I'm like, we could kill them. Right, but I mean, if we don't, then maybe we'll have grandkids, and it'll be great. So, uh, like, sometimes that's all that keeps us going, keeps us sane. But maybe you're in a season of life, and things aren't moving as fast as it used to move, and it shouldn't, right? Like, it shouldn't move as fast as it used to. But some of us are going really, really fast. I mean, some of us, if we're honest, and you stood where I stood, and you got the mic, and you shared your story, you would say, "I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted." I mean, you're stopping at red lights and you're just contemplating how long you can close your eyes, right? Before somebody honks behind you. Just give me one minute nap, right? But I think the great theologian Ferris Bueller had it right. Here's what he said. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop, take a look at what's going on around you, you're gonna miss something. And I think that's true. Life is moving pretty fast. If we don't stop, we don't slow down we don't hit the gas, and we're gonna miss something. So here's the second question I wanna throw out to you. Here it is right here. How are you doing? I mean, again, you don't have to answer that question out loud. How are you doing? Have you ever thought we're asked that question oftentimes? We run into somebody out and about, and they go, hey, how are you doing? And you know what our typical response is? Good. Like, I'm good, right? Sometimes, here's what we tag it with. I'm good, just busy. I'm good, just busy, man, life's busy. But here's what we're not saying. We're not saying we're overwhelmed. We're not saying that we feel anxious, anxiety, because we're going too fast, breakneck speeds. We're not saying what the knowledge that we're intaking on our phones and every other system that we're connected to is doing to us at a soul level. So how are we doing? I I read an interesting passage in studying uh, this topic. is actually found in the book of Daniel. I want to share it with you. Daniel chapter 12 verse 4. It talks about the end times. Daniel the prophet is actually speaking about how we, what we will experience at the end. And here's what he says. Sounds familiar. He says, and many shall run to and fro. Well, that's us, right? Like we're running from one thing to another. Busy culture speeding up. Technology speeding up, everything's speeding up. We're going, going, going. Like I bought a brand new Honda Odyssey minivan. I'm that guy, okay? So four kids, six of us, it's just the best. So I bought one in November and I look at, this, I look at the odometer on there and I'm like, we could have gone around the earth twice just by driving our kids in our own county to places, sports and practices and all those things. A few months ago, I had a uh, privilege for the like third or fourth time to go to Africa, one of my favorite places on earth. Had got to go to Africa. We were there in less than 20 hours, FaceTiming with my wife in Zimbabwe. Listen, many shall run to and fro, and then watch this, and knowledge shall increase. Well, that's happening in our society. I don't know if you're paying attention. Knowledge is increasing at a rapid speed. In fact, just to give you some statistics, do you know technology is doubling every 18 months right now. Technology is doubling every 18 months. I read this, by 2030, there will be 50 billion smartphones and 500 billion devices connected to the internet. Sharing and consuming data, more than we could possibly imagine. Everything about us in society. There's chat, GPT, and all the other things. Then, then there's, there's the rise of an AI. Like when we see a, see a news article about artificial intelligence, we read it, okay? Because we saw Terminator, like we know how it all goes down. It's not good, right? And we're like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's our only chance. It's our only hope, right? It's our only, this, the second one, not the first one. The first one was bad. The second one, he saved everything. But artificial intelligence is growing. I read this, it's, it, it's actually conceivable then in the next 10 years we move from the, what's called the digital age to the quantum age. And you're like, what is that? I don't even fully understand it, some of you maybe you do, but here's what I do know about it. It is, it is computers able to do like complex problem solving and able to operate at millions of times the speed of what our fastest computers can right now. Able to solve problems that we couldn't even conceive. The medical world and all the other things. And here's the truth, things aren't slowing down. They're only speeding up. The only thing that's gonna slow culture down is some catastrophic event. It's, it's moving faster and faster and faster. So if you're here and you're like, man, I just wanna go back to the good old days, guess what? We're never going back to the good old days. You're not going back to Kansas anymore. It's a new world and things aren't gonna change. And let me let you in on a secret, here's why things aren't gonna change, because people aren't gonna give up their right to choose. So things aren't going to change. So what do we do? How do we respond as Christ followers in a world that's moving at a breakneck speed? How do we respond? Well, the Bible actually speaks to this. Here's what I love about the Bible. It is living and active. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, able to decipher our innermost thoughts, our actions. And so the Bible speaks to where we are. There's principles that the Bible gives us to where we are. And here's what I think in the area of speed. I think the Bible speaks to areas that we need to speed up in, that we need to hit the gas, and areas that we need to hit the brake. And knowing when to hit the gas and when to hit the brake is called wisdom. It's called wisdom. Because there's some areas in our lives, listen, what God's telling us, we need to speed up. And then there's some areas God's saying, you need to slow down. And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. But I believe, just foundationally speaking, there's one area that should be constantly speeding up as we move mature in our relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna give it to you right now. So if you've got your notes, I want you to write this down. Here it is right here. The one area that speed should increase in our lives as we move closer to Jesus is in the, is in the area of obedience. It's so obedience. That is the one area. Listen, as we move closer to Jesus, as we mature in our relationship with Jesus, the area that should speed up is in the area of obedience. That we should be seeing yes sooner. Walking with Jesus means we respond in obedience. Now here's why I'm starting with obedience. Here's why I think this matters. Because I think obedience is foundational. You see, our faith is like a dimmer switch. It's like a dimmer switch on your wall. When you walk in obedience, you turn the lights up. And when you walk in disobedience, watch this, you turn the lights down. When you walk in obedience, it gets gets brighter around you. When you walk in disobedience, when we walk in disobedience, it gets darker around us. And here's why that's important. Because some of us, here's what we think. We think that the darkness around us is determined by the culture we live in. And that's not what the Bible teaches. You see, we can look at our culture, we can think, man, it's getting dark. There are some dark things, absolutely. But the light around you is not determined by the culture you live in, the light around you is determined by your level of obedience. That's the reason why Jesus said, you and I, Christ followers, are the light of the world. And we are the light of the world, we are the light. We bring light to dark places. And when Jesus wrote this, he wrote it into the context of a Roman empire that was unbelievably dark. In fact, when you study the culture of the Roman empire, you realize how dark it actually was, even more so than the culture we live in today. But Jesus believed, hey, listen, if you walk in obedience, if you follow my commands, you apply my commands, you are the light of the world. You are bringing light to a dark place. So, what that means if you're a teenager here, and I know we're not in school right now, unless you're in summer school, and my bad, all right, been there, okay. But when you're in school, you may go, hey, listen, it's a dark place. Guess what? You have the potential to be the light of your school by obeying Christ. If you're a business person, men, man, woman, you are the light of your company. You have the ability and capacity. Some of you, some of you moms, maybe, maybe your husband doesn't attend church. Maybe they don't believe in Jesus. They're not fully on board. You have the potential to be the light in your home. You see, we are, as we walk in obedience, lighting, bringing light to the darkness around us. And over and over in scripture, we see men and women who did this. Dark times, dark places. And there are men and women who walked in the light. But there's also, watch this, there's also men and women who did not. And they walked in disobedience, and things got harder, things got darker. In fact, there's there's an instance in scripture that I wanna talk about today, and I love scripture again, because it's not just the good, it's the bad. And how many of you know we can learn a lot Uh, by the mistakes of other people. Like, I don't know about you, but I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistakes than my mistakes. It's just way easier. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a, a circumstance that a man by the name of Saul, specifically we call him King Saul, the first king of Israel. Now Saul, again, was the first king of Israel. Just to kind of give you a little context, Israel determined that they wanted a king. Now why did they want a king? Because all the other nations around them had a king so they wanted a king and they they asked god for a king and so god granted them a king and his name is king saul and the priest samuel actually anointed king saul as the first king of israel and here's what it says actually in the book of samuel first samuel here's what it says about king saul it says and samuel said to all the people do you see the man that the lord has chosen there is no one like him among all the people Then the people shouted, Long live the king. So, when Samuel and the rest of the nation of Israel saw King Saul, here's what they thought man, this guy is a king. He's the most handsome, probably the most athletic. Like, when everybody thought about a king, they're like, That is the guy, King Saul. So, I want you to imagine everybody looked at King Saul and thought, That is our king. But not only did God give him favor, he gave him a promise. And you can read this for yourself, but in 1 Samuel chapter seven, here's what God said to Saul. If you will walk in obedience, I will give you victory over your enemies, specifically the Philistines. If you'll walk in obedience, I will give you victory over your enemies, the Philistines. But here's the problem. In a circumstance, in a moment of pressure, in temptation, Saul caved. Saul caved. And I think, again, we can learn a lot about speed and the world we live in and obedience by the story. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, I wanna, wanna read it to you because it's really, really good and it can help us today. So let me dive right in. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting with verse five, it says, and the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitudes. So I wanna stop right here. The Philistines had an unbelievable army. Like they, they had an army, they had the firepower, they, they, they had more people, more men, and more weapons than the Israelites did. But the Israelites, again, go back to 1 Samuel chapter seven, had a promise that God would give them victory. And so the Philistines were like gods in war. They loved to fight. They loved to fight. They were always looking for a fight. So I want you to think, this scenario, if you're you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I want you to think Helm's Deep here. Okay, so you got the Philistines who are coming at the Israelites. They're outnumbered, and they obviously have more firepower than the Israelites at. It says, they came up from the encampment in Michmash to the east of Beth Haven. It says, when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble... For the people were hard pressed. Of course they were, right? They were scared. The people hid themselves in caves and in holes in the rocks and in tombs in the cisterns. And it goes on. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And Saul was still at Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. And he waited, watch this important, seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So I want you to stop right here. So he waits seven days for Samuel. Now, why was he waiting for Samuel? Samuel was the priest, Samuel was the one who offered the sacrifices to God so that God's spirit and God's power would be with him. And so it goes on, verse 9. So Saul, after seven days, Samuel doesn't show up. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offering. And he, not Samuel, not the priest, offered the burnt offering. So he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever done something like you're waiting, 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 and you're finally like, I gotta do something, I gotta act, and then you act. And then like a minute after, you're like, oh my goodness, now you come. Now I see. So what Saul did is he offered a sacrifice that was not his to offer. Saul thought, hey, I've waited seven days. I've been patient enough. Samuel isn't here. And by the way, I'm the king. I have the authority. I can do what I want to do. And so he executed uh, executed his authority. And he offered the burnt offerings, the peace offerings to the Lord to try to earn God's favor. But it wasn't his to offer. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Now listen, I don't know how that conversation went. I don't know if Saul went out and said, hey man, <laughs> like where you been? Like seven days, we've been waiting. There's a, I don't know if you know that the Philistines are ready to attack us, they're ready to destroy us. Where have you been? And listen, I don't, know what, I don't know what Samuel's response was, okay? Like, I don't know if he's like, hey, my camel broke down. I don't know if he's like, man, I got in this long conversation with my wife and it just never ended. Like, I don't know what it was, but here's what I know. Saul lost patience. Why? Pressure. The pressure of the circumstance. And the pressure of the circumstance led to Saul offering a sacrifice that was not his to offer. Now, here, here's what I wanna give us, because I wanna be incredibly practical for the next few minutes here. I wanna give you an equation that was, that was taking place in Saul's life that also takes place in our lives every single day. And here it is right here. Speed plus pressure equals temptation. Speed plus pressure. What do I mean by that? The speed of life, like you're going, going, going. There's very little margin in your life. You're just go, 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 go. Like you don't even have time to do your quiet time. You're just like, I gotta get up, I gotta go, gotta do, your kids are here, they're there, your business, all of the things, whatever it is. The demands on you, speed, plus pressure. What's the pressure? It's different for all of us. Well, the pressure is I, like, it's all dependent on me. Like, I gotta act, I gotta do something. Speed plus pressure, what was it for Saul? The pressure was the Israelites were right there. What do I do? I got men who are scared, they're trembling. What what do we do? Speed plus pressure equals temptation. Now watch this. What's the temptation? Here it is, right here. The temptation is to let circumstances override our obedience. So the circumstances of our lives... What we find ourselves in can override our obedience. Think about it. It happens for us as well. It happens in our society. Like the circumstances have changed, right? Here's what our culture would say. Circumstances have changed. Man, it's just a different world than it used to be. Circumstances are different. They've changed. So therefore, we need to change with our circumstances, this is a conversation in the big c church not just von Chor- Force. the big c church is like culture is changing we need to adapt to culture that's the temptation to let circumstances override obedience the same is true in our own lives there are circumstances and things that we are experienced that can override our obedience you see our faith can be circumstantial if circumstances are good god's good man it's all good But when circumstances are bad, there's pressure, then what that can lead to is the temptation to believe that God is bad. Circumstances are good, God's good. Circumstances are bad, God's bad. And we can think that we have all of these pressures on us and we can give in to circumstances. And listen, we all do at times because there's always three things at play right here. I wanna share them with you. Here it is. Here, here's the first thing. When we give in to temptation, there are three things in play. Here's the first one, excuses. You ever notice? Let's just take our kids, all right? Let's not talk about us, it's too personal, okay? So let's just take our kids. Like he, your kids get in trouble, what's the first thing you do? They make excuses. Like and I don't know about you, like my kids are pretty good at it. Like sometimes I'll, I'll go to my boys and they got an excuse, I'm like that's pretty good. Like I I never had excuses, I wish I did. I got in more trouble because I didn't have excuses that good. That's a pretty good excuse. And then, listen, mom, who's a way better parent than I am, she's always like, you're such a softy, why'd you give in to that? I'm like, well, they had a good excuse, I don't know. They had a good excuse. We have excuses. Why did you do what you do? Why did you do that? Why did you find yourself in that situation? The first response we give, excuses. You know what the second thing we do oftentimes? We blame. We blame him. Hey, it's not my fault, it's your fault. The reason why I lost my temper is because of the way you acted. The reason why I responded this way is because of what you did. And we don't take personal responsibility, we blame other people. Again, we all do this. And here's the third thing that's always in play here is fear. See, ultimately it comes down to fear. It comes down to control. Like the circumstances, we're scared. We wanna control things. We wanna be in charge of things. So, so listen, we, we try to take control. That's exactly what Saul did. I gotta take control. God's not responding in my timeline. Samuel isn't here, it's seven days. See, I think Saul was impatient that entire seven days. When that seven days got, he was just waiting. Hey, if he doesn't show up, I'm gonna act and the moment he didn't show up he acted if he would have just waited a little longer Samuel would have been there fear control now watch this i want you to see these three things watch this in how Saul responded to Samuel so here's the conversation he goes out to meet him what does he say he says what have you done asked Samuel Saul replied when i saw that the men were scattering what is he doing making excuses hey man the men were scattering That's why I did what I did. And then he goes on. He says, and that you, what is he doing? You did not come at the set time. He is blaming. Hey, Samuel, this is really your fault. If you would have shown up at the right time, I would have never done this. And then again, what's the next thing? That the Philistines and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. What do we see here? Fear. Hey, man. We were scared, my men were scared. Excuses, blame, and fear, and then he goes on. What does that lead to? And I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So watch this, this is big in our society, in our lives. So I felt, why did you do what you do? I felt, why did you feel the way you did? Because of the circumstances. So he trusted his feelings, I felt. Never mind, God had given him a promise in 1 Samuel chapter 7 be obedient and I will give you victory. No, he felt he needed to take control. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Ultimately, that led to disobedience. And ultimately, listen, it cost him. It cost him his kingdom. See, Saul wanted control. And oftentimes, that's what's in play for us. There are times, listen, we hit the gas when we should have hit the brake. Saul should have hit the brake. Instead, he chose to hit the gas. Now, again, sometimes this is around control and sometimes it's simply around emotion. Have you ever noticed that when emotions run high, we have a tendency to hit the gas when we should hit the brake? Like we say things that we shouldn't say, why? We hit the gas. We, we, that statement, that hurtful comment comes into our mind, emotions are on high. We say it because we want to hurt them instead of hitting the brake and going, I don't need to say that. It's personal, isn't it? Because if you're in a relationship, you have friends, you have connection, we all do it at times. and Emotions are kind of like that temperature gauge on your car. When it's running hot, you know what it's saying? You need to back off. You need to hit the brake. You need to slow down. But what we have a tendency to do instead is to hit the gas. And we hurt people. We hurt our kids. We have to go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry, I blew it. I was angry. The emotions, the pressure, all of these things got to me. And I said some things that I shouldn't have said. I responded in a way I shouldn't have responded. And We have to go and we have to ask for forgiveness. You say, please forgive me, I'm so sorry. Speed plus pressure equals temptation. And by the way, this is the way our society works too. It's a multi-trillion dollar industry. Speed plus pressure equals temptation. What does that mean? It means you get an email that says, hey, this is a flash sale. It's just good for a moment, a few hours. If you don't buy this, now you're gonna lose the opportunity to get at this price. What is that company doing? Speed plus pressure equals temptation. Or you'll get this and you'll you'll see that there are only a few left. It's like, there are way more than that. But what are they doing? They're applying pressure to us. Speed plus pressure equals temptation. It's the reason why we buy things we shouldn't buy. We give into things we shouldn't give into. Why? Speed plus pressure equals temptation. So what do we do? Let me me give you something helpful real quick here, okay? Here's what I've applied to my life And I try to apply it to my life. I teach it to my kids. I've taught it to my staff. And so I wanna give it to you too, okay? So hopefully it's helpful in the area of making decisions. High clarity hit the gas. What do I mean by that? Man, when you have a choice in front of you, it is not a moral choice. God's already spoken to it. He's given you all the variables, all the things. It's not Again, it's not a moral dilemma. Maybe God's already told you to do it. You just need the courage to do it. High clarity, hit the gas. Some of us maybe we're in a relationship that we shouldn't be in and listen, we have all the clarity we need. We're just scared, hit the gas. But watch this, low clarity, hit the brake. When you don't have good clarity, slow down, stop. Don't make that decision when you don't have high clarity. Slow down. Why? Because it's important. Now here's what happens. Society wants you to make quick decisions with low clarity. They want you to hit the gas when you should hit the brake. Again, going back to our kids, because this is the world I live in. My son stops me in the hall and says, hey, dad, can I go to someone's house? I'm like, sure, you can go to their house. And then my wife goes, why did you let him do that? I just told him no. I'm like, well, that, that piece of information would have been helpful. He didn't say that. I didn't know that we were about to eat dinner. I didn't know all the things. He wanted me to make a quick decision with low clarity. The staff can do the same. My staff can do the same. They'll stop me in the hall. Hey Matt, I need to answer on this real quick. And I'm like, well, it seems cut and dry based on what you're telling me, so I'll give them an answer. Comes back to bite me. I'm like, well, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> they didn't tell me that. If you're a businessman or a woman here, you lead people you know, like your people you lead trying to get you to make quick decisions with low clarity. Pay attention. High clarity hit the gas. Low clarity hit the brake. And here's the thing. When you and I choose to hit the gas when we should hit the brake, it always, always, always leads to regret. Every single time. Always leads to regret. It happened in Saul's life. He hit the gas and it cost him. Ultimately, it cost him his kingdom. For us, it can cost us relationships. It can cost us our marriage. cost us our jobs, our character, our integrity. When we hit the gas, when we should hit the brake. So what is the answer? I think God gives it to us. I want to give it to you. In, in, uh, Jesus actually says it in John chapter 14, verse 21. Let me give it to you right here. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them. I love that. So here's what Jesus says. Hey, by the way, it's not enough just to say you are a Christian. It's not enough to just to identify yourself as a follower of Christ, to have the bumper sticker on the car, to, to wear the shirt. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself. To them, So what Jesus is saying is we both need to have God's commands and we need to keep God's commands. Saul had God's commands, he just didn't keep them. And here's what he thought, this is it, right here, pay attention. He thought that his sacrifices could earn God's favor. He thought, if I sacrifice the burnt offerings, I will earn God's favor. And we do the same thing. We go to God and we're like, God, I got all these sacrifices, all these things I'm doing. God, I'm serving, doing all these things, trying to live a a good life. So God, my expectations is that you respond a certain way to me. And we're trying to earn God's favor through our sacrifices. Like maybe we're driving down the road, we're like, I used to listen to all country music, not anymore, not anymore, I listen to worship music. For my kids, it's like, hip hop guys if you listen to hip hop hip hop is in my van all the time okay and it's like sometimes i gotta go hey guys hey it's all good we listen to christian hip hop by the way okay so but it's like hey time out and we need to worship we need to worship but sometimes we can do all these things and here's what we can think i did 21 days of my devotional doing all these things for you god what are you going to do for me and that's not how you earn God's favor. You see, Samuel knew that God didn't want Saul's sacrifice. He wanted Saul's obedience. Watch this. This is so good, so good. Here's what he said. Here, let me give you this first, and then we'll go to what he said. Your sacrifice is never to be done in hopes that you will get something or earn something. Again, that's what's going on here. But rather, we should respond with Obedience based on what Christ has already done for us so that's the principle here your sacrifice my sacrifice is never to be done in hopes that we'll get something it's in response to what Christ has already done for us so he sacrificed himself on a cross he was the ultimate sacrifice what does he want from us obedience so again let's go to Samuel's response watch this but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? And then watch this, this is so good. He says, listen, and I think we all should listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat rams. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You see, here's what Samuel knew. You can have sacrifice without obedience. But you can't have obedience without sacrifice. And what God wants is our obedience. He wants us to do exactly what Paul says in Galatians for us to do. Watch this. What does Paul say in Galatians? He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, let us move at the speed of the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. For us, what does it look to be obedient to God? To move at the, ste- at the speed of the Spirit. Now, I want you to think as we close, I want you to think about this. Have you ever been on a two lane road and the person in front of you is going way slower than you want to go? And it's a two lane road and you're like, I got to pass them. I mean, you can take it for a while, but you're like, I got to pass them. And you get antsy and you get anxious and you're trying to pass them, then a car, car comes. And then you get to the point where you can go, but then it's a double line. Some of you are like, that doesn't mean anything to you. Okay, all right, I get it. And you're like, I gotta get around them. And the moment you can, you get around that car and you pass them as fast as you can and get over. Leave them in the dust. Now I want you to imagine for a second. Imagine that car that was in front of you you're trying to pass represents the Holy Spirit. And you know what sometimes we do? We're like, God, you're not operating at my speed, my timeline. And I'm going I'm to take control of the situation. And that's what Saul did, and it cost him. It cost him, and it cost us. Let me close with a picture. The most famous story in Scripture is probably the story of the Exodus. Moses leading the Israelites out of bondage, out of Egypt, into what? is known as the promised land. And you know the story, they made movies about it. But at the very end, God is leading the people through the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea and Moses is leading the people through there. And God miraculously leads them to safety and onto the promised land. Now here's what we know. It took 40 years for the nation of Israel, for the Hebrews to get to the promised land. 40 years. Now I want you to think about that. This, that is 39 years and 50 weeks longer than it should have. 39 years, 50 weeks longer than it should have taken them. It was only a two-week journey. Why did it take them so long? Disobedience. Disobedience. Were there perils? Absolutely. Was there temptations? Absolutely. But the reason why it costs them is disobedience. Some of them, it costs them more than time. It costs them their lives. The same is true with you and I. You see, in the end, what God is calling all of us to do is to move at the speed of obedience, to move in step with the Spirit. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it would seem that the easier choice right in front of you It's just to be disobedient. But here's what I would submit to you. I wanna leave you with this right here. This is it. Practical truth. Whatever you're facing, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, whatever you're facing, in the end, obedience is always the easiest road in front of you. It's always the easiest road. Is it easy? No. It's not always easy. But I promise you, in the end, it's the easiest road and you may push back and you may say well listen scripture is full of people who were obedient and it cost them their lives history is full of obe- people who were obedient and it cost them their lives yeah but it didn't cost them eternity in the end obedience is always the easiest road in front of you that's why it says in proverbs chapter 14 this there is a path there is a road before each person that seems right It seems easy, but in the end, it leads to death. So I want to leave you with this. What are you facing right now? What temptations, what pressures are you facing where God is saying to you today, you need to walk in step with the Spirit. You need to be obedient. There's plenty of pressures that we all face. But what is God calling you to do? And if you can't hear him, it may be you're moving too fast. Can I pray for you? Just across this room. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know where you are, but here's what I believe with all my heart. What God is saying to us today, He's saying, I don't want your sacrifices, I want your obedience. Again, He'll get our sacrifice if He gets our obedience. So God, wherever you're calling us, wherever you're stirring and move us, moving us, God, again, the beauty is that your spirit is speaking to us individually. God, I pray that we would respond with obedience, that we would move at the speed of obedience, that we wouldn't let the pressures, the circumstances of what we are going through cost us. God, for some who, maybe our stories, we're a military family, we moved here. It's another place, it's another town. Pressure on our kids, pressure on our family, all the things, I get it. But in the end, God, I pray that we would respond in obedience. That when emotions run high, that we would hit the brake when we normally hit the gas. And for those of us who don't know you, God, I pray that we would say yes to you. That we would stop trying to take control of our lives when what you're saying is, hey, stop, let me take control. And that we would say yes to the offer of Jesus right now. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy that is new every single day. And God, that's what we rely on, that's what we trust in. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.